Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney, and this is Caffeinated Crimes. Courtney, why did the Scarecrow win an award? Why? He was outstanding in his field. (laughs) I have no words. (laughs) So we said last week that we were going to try the bad jokes for the intros again, so let us know what you guys think. Did you hate that and you don't want us to ever do it again? Did we just make your day and you thought it was hilarious? Guys, I guarantee my dad liked it, so there's one vote, (laughs) yes. Um. Have you seen that guy on TikTok who is always, like, telling, he's like, I said to my son, and he says a joke, and he's like, and my son said, like, the obvious punchline, and he's like, no, dummy, it's, and then says a different punchline. Have you seen that guy? No, no, I haven't It's really funny, and so he'll always, like, tell a joke, and there's, like, the obvious punchline, and then he'll have, like, Mm -hmm. another one come in. And those are always pretty funny, because I'm always like, what's he going to say? But he's always like, no, dummy, it's this. And it's just, it's pretty funny. <laughs> That's funny. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to check those out. I do, I do like a corny dad joke, though. I mean, I do, yeah. as long as it's clever, you know, some of them are just like, mm. my Too dad sends me, dad um, yeah, my dad sends me a lot of dad jokes. So now uh, me and him and my brothers all send them back and forth. So sometimes mm-hmm. I'll send him one and he's like, oh, your brother sent me that earlier today. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. But Kevin always just makes like dad comments where I'm just like, um, Andrew's favorite any every single time for the almost 10 years we have been married now. I say I'm hungry. This man says, hi, I'm Andrew. Every time. <laughs> every time <laughs> so does not surprise he was, me he was ready for the dad jokes before he became a dad so he's just fully embracing it now so can't wait for him to embarrass millie with all of the dad jokes later i feel like kevin said something last night that i was just like Ugh, oh my gosh but <laughs> i can't remember what it was now <laughs> Well, we don't really have any updates because we are recording back to back because I'm going to be out of town next weekend. So anything that's happened in our real time week this week, uh, you're not going to hear about until next week because that's when we're going to, in this time space continuum, that's when it happens for us and that's when we'll update you. You know what I'm trying to say. We recorded back to back so we don't have any updates this week. (laughs) So... Jacqueline's long about way of saying we're gonna get straight into the episode um and maybe people like that maybe people hate updates and banner banter banner? banners I don't know um maybe you hate <laughs> banners too that's fine what um, if we just like started the episode like this is caffeinated crimes immediately into the script like no no conversation just like boom here's what we're talking about don't tell us if that's what you want because we're not going to do that but you know tell us if the if the banter yeah i feel like if we did that we'd end up like sidetracking in the story to talk about things but if you guys do want us to start putting like when the script starts time stamp in the episode notes we can do that so do let us know if that is something you prefer um because we can't make that happen. I don't know if we'll stop talking because mm, no. I don't know. Because this too is much. Our, our podcast and so we do what we enjoy and we hope y'all like it too. And we do make some accommodations for things that you guys have a preference mm-hmm. for. But, you know, there are some things that's just going to stay in general. Speaking of, you know, talking about bullshit you don't care about, um, I do know another 
podcast, I'm sure Courtney knows who I'm talking about, that at a certain point they were like, okay, we're going to stop the like beginning banter because like you guys said it was too much. But then like you said, they interrupt the story for five minutes to banter about something else. So I'm like, I I think it's best to mm-hmm. have it like all at the beginning and all at the end. So if you really just want to listen. And you can just skip right Exactly. Through. So that's what we're doing here, you know. Yeah. But we don't have much banter because we've already talked for like an hour now. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and get into the case. Um, so this is a suggestion from our newest Patreon, um, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two were suggested by her. So thank you so much for that. Um, and for the first one, the resources we used were court, trans- court transcripts. Can't talk. Um, the Roanoke Times and the Washington Post. Um, and we do want to go ahead and give a trigger warning here. There is some discussion of rape. Um, so we completely understand if that is something you cannot, do not want to mm-hmm. listen to and want to just go ahead and skip over. Many people feel safer in small towns and crime rates are often lower there than in big cities. However, heinous crimes can occur anywhere, and today we're covering three murders that occurred in small towns in Virginia. Which, actually, um, I wrote that, so I'm sorry, but it's more than three murders, but three three cases, I will say. There are more than three murders, mm. but... Jacqueline set me up for I know, failure, that was my bad. She's like... I'm, I'm gonna write something for Courtney to read so I can then correct her. <laughs> so, you're welcome. I did see that there's, like, one podcast that's, like, very obviously scripted for both parts but like it's like one girl telling a story and the other girl will like Mm -hmm. say stuff or whatever but it's kind of obviously scripted Mm -hmm. like where she puts it in it's like okay we can tell like it says in your script say oh my gosh or no way um and there was like something she said in like a recent episode and people were like i swear to god like the other host like secretly hates her and just makes her say dumb (laughs) shit And I was like, that would be really funny. That is funny. (laughs) I mean, not for her, but. (laughs) I also hope that all of our fellow true crime podcast listeners know the two podcasts that we were just referencing, because I feel like it's pretty uh, clear, but. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so. um... Michael Wayne Williams had an unstable home life growing up in central Virginia. His mother divorced his father shortly before he was born and married a man that was an alcoholic. Um, They did divorce after the man verbally and emotionally abused his mother for years, so he did have to grow up for a few years seeing that, witnessing that. Um, And she continued having relationships with men, and not all of them ended well. And she finally met a man who was good to her and had a good relationship with her son, but he was killed in a car accident a few months before they were supposed to get married. So just kind of bad man after bad man after bad man in your life, and you finally get a good man, and then he gets killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And Williams was diagnosed with ADHD and had trouble with school and social situations. On Saturday, February 27th, 1993, Michael Wayne Williams and Jeffrey Allen Cruz got a ride with Verena Lozano James, a lot of names here, (laughs) to a rural county (laughs) of Cumberland County, Virginia. So it was around 10 o'clock at night, and Williams and Cruz intended to rob the Bear Bear Creek Market using a 357 caliber Rugger Black Hawk revolver that Williams had given to Cruz. So when they arrived at the market and discovered it was closed, William said he knew a house nearby with a couple thousand dollars that they could go to. Um, But like, couldn't you have just broken into the market and stolen money while they were closed? I mean, I don't know the whole safe situation, but yeah, I don't really know why 
you just abandon that idea. <laughs> yeah, if your intent was like just to get money, I feel like you would have at least attempted to break into this closed market that might be easier to mm -hmm. get money than like robbing someone at gunpoint. But you're like, no, I'm going to go to this other place instead. So I feel like your motives were a bit more than just robbery here. Yeah. They then went to the house of Morris Keller Jr. and his wife, Mary Elizabeth Keller. And when Mr. Keller opened the door, Williams pointed the gun at him and they walked into the house. So they forced Mr. Keller into the kitchen where his wife was. And Cruz began searching the house for money and other valuables. And Williams told the Kellers to take off their clothes. Cruz found a loaded 38 caliber handgun while searching the house. And Williams suggested that they tie up the Kellers so Cruz... Cruz used some phone cord to do so, and they forced both of the Kellers inside their living room closet and continued searching the home. So later, Cruz moved Mrs. Keller into the closet in the back bedroom of the house where both he and Williams raped her. They then retrieved Mr. Keller from the living room closet and instructed the Kellers to take a shower and put on clean clothing. Um, and while they were finished, when they were finished, William said they were going to take a walk and led the Kellers outside. On the way out, he told them he planned on burning their house down. So Mrs. Keller asked if she could retrieve their marriage license and Williams agreed and accompanied her into the house to do so. So now carrying both their gun and the Keller's gun, Williams and Cruz led the Kellers down the street and into a thicket where Williams stood behind Mr. Keller and Cruz stood behind Mrs. Keller. So, Williams told Cruz they would shoot on the count of three. He then counted to three and shot Mr. Keller. Cruz did not fire until Williams told him to. So unfortunately, Mrs. Keller had to see all of, you know, she's already experienced being raped and now she has to watch her husband being shot. Mm -hmm. um, so then he did shoot Mrs. Keller, and after she hit the ground, Mr. Keller stood back up, and Williams shot him again, and now concerned they weren't dead, he shot both of them multiple times. So Williams and Cruz returned to the house, where they loaded up the Keller's TV, microwave, stereo, and speakers, and shotgun into the Keller's own Jeep Cherokee. But I'm like, you said you knew there was thousands of dollars, why aren't you, you're gonna take yeah. money, you're just gonna take the TV? Okay. Yeah. What? Um, then they set the house on fire, as they said they would, and took off to Fredericksburg in the Jeep. So the next day, the two men sold some of those items and dumped the rest in the Rappahannock River along with the gun. Then they set the Jeep on fire as well. So, and when Verena James learned of the fire at the Keller house, she contacted police to let them know she had dropped Cruz and Williams off near the house the night before. So she's like, I'm going to tell on them. I'm going to tell yeah, them. Yeah, good for you, girl. Like, yeah. You're like, oh, shit. I had nothing to do with this. I just gave them a ride, but they were near this area when this happened. I'm going to call police. Yeah. Good for you. So police interviewed Cruz, who would not say anything until the Keller's bodies were found. After this, at the suggestion of his legal counsel, Cruz agreed to a plea bargain. The Commonwealth of Virginia agreed not to seek the death penalty if Cruz disclosed his knowledge of the crimes. So Cruz described the events previously mentioned, but did not include the fact that he also raped Mrs. Keller. When the Commonwealth learned that Cruz had lied, they revoked the plea agreement and indicted Cruz for capital murder. So they're like, oh, so you're lying to us? Like, fuck you. <laughs> 
Goodbye. Yeah, like, mm, nope, you, your agreement was to tell us everything, and you did not, so that is null and void. So Michael Wayne Williams was also indicted for capital murder, robbery, rape, and abduction of Mrs. Keller, and then capital murder, robbery, and abduction of Mr. Keller, statutory burglary and arson, as well as capital murder for two previous homicides. So they just threw the book Ooh. at him. Anything, just they sure boom, did. boom, boom. <laughs> Williams did go to trial in 1994. He testified and confirmed that it was his idea to rob the Bear Creek Market and set the house on fire and that he was the one who shot Mr. Keller in the head. He denied raping Mrs. Keller and denied shooting both of the victims until after the initial shot. Evidence shows Mr. and Mrs. Keller were shot a total of eight times. So both men admitting to shoot, admitted to shooting once but blamed the other for the additional seven shots. They're like... Well, I shot once, but he shot seven times. And then they're mm-hmm. both saying that. It's like, yeah, it's not helping you at all. Like someone shot eight times. Okay. Yeah. It was one of you two. <laughs> was it the mouse in your pocket? Because it's one of you two. There's only two people there. <laughs> God, I love that phrase. <laughs> so William's DNA was also present in the semen on Ms. Mrs. Keller's body, and the jury convicted him of capital murder and sentenced him to death based on the vileness of his crimes and the likelihood of him engaging in violent acts in the future. So clearly they're like, I don't think this guy can be rehabilitated. Just, mm-hmm. just no. So Williams also pleaded guilty to one count of capital murder and three counts of first-degree murder for the four men he killed in Rice, Virginia. So on Christmas Eve in 1992, Williams shot and killed 47-year-old George Atkinson Sr., 24-year-old George Atkinson Jr., 31-year-old Jeffrey Villalobos, Villalobos, I'm so sorry, Jeffrey. (laughs) (laughs) The Lobos. Oh, I'm so sorry. And 24-year-old William Cutter before setting their house on fire. So this man loves his fires, which is Mm -hmm. a red flag. He's got a, yeah, he's got an MO here. Yeah. Um, And he received four life sentences for those murders as well. So he got sentenced to death for Mr. and Mrs. Keller and now sentenced to life for these. This man is not going anywhere. Mm Mm-mm. Um... One source says that Williams had confessed to his brother, John Howard Williams, but another source says John Williams was also charged with four counts of murder for these cases. So kind of, you know, this kind of happens in small Mm -hmm. towns where it can be a lot of like hearsay. Um, It's kind of hard to know. And especially like, you know, I relied heavily on the court transcripts for the Keller murders, but these 1992 murders, like there were mentions of it in the court transcripts of the Keller murders, but I can't find like exact sources for these murders. Like Mm -hmm. it took me a long time to like find their names even. Like it was just like briefly mentioned of like four other homicides in 92 and then nothing. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, can can we go back to that? Yeah. So, during the trials, photos of each of the victims' heads were shown, and some of them had been burned as well. Williams filed several appeals, but they were denied, and one of his appeals was about the photos of the Rice victims' burned remains being shown at trial. He argued there was no way for the jury to not vote on the death penalty after seeing those photos, but the autopsy reports for those victims provided the same information, so this claim was denied. So... I kind of get what he's saying because, like, you're seeing it is different than hearing it. But I do ultimately think at the end of the day, it would have either been a death sentence or life in prison. Like, 
Yeah. It's not going to get you too much further. Like, you you still did this. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it looks bad because it is bad. Yeah. Because that's what you did. <laughs> I think we say that a lot. Like, if, if, like, you're upset about the truth, like, maybe change, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Williams was scheduled to die by lethal injection at 9 p.m. on October 28, 1999, and one hour before, the Supreme Court granted a stay of execution and agreed to review a portion of a 1996 federal law that restricts a U.S. district court's ability to conduct evidentiary hearings after his attorney says he was denied a federal evidence hearing for claiming the state suppressed facts and that he was denied discovery requests and investigative resources during the state trial. That's a big old I'm sentence. I'm really sorry. Yeah, I'm really sorry for that sentence, Courtney. Um, I don't understand enough of what that means to rephrase <laughs> it, so I just had to, like, say exactly how they said it in the court transcript. <laughs> so I was like, this that's sentence why. is never ending. <laughs> That's why that's such a mouthful, because I'm like, I I can't rephrase this because I don't understand exactly what, like, I get the gist, but, Mm -hmm. like, to to make sure that I'm not saying something incorrectly is just going to go exactly as is, so my bad for that. (laughs) Yeah, so part of his claim involved the jury foreman lying about having any conflicts of interest in the case where her ex-husband was the deputy on the case. Um, So, again, (laughs) small town. We did another one like that um recently what case was that where it was like there was so much where it was like the prosecutor was also the divorce attorney and was also you know what i'm talking about Mm, i don't remember okay anyway i swear there was (laughs) either a patreon bonus or a regular episode where it was like anyway Okay. There, there's too many. They're all, they're all blurring together in my brain at this point. <laughs> and that's why I know that one podcast is scripted because she just <laughs> quotes like an like episode two hundred and forty three about this person when this <laughs> happened. I'm like, no, you don't remember that. I know no. for a fact. <laughs> um, so the prosecutor would have been aware that this was a lie as well as he was their a divorce attorney. Did I just read this and then assume it was two separate cases? Did I read this last night? I don't know. I'm going to look this up once Jacqueline starts talking. Anyway, this is what happens when I have to talk last and then first. I can't. That's a lot of back-to-back. Oh, my brain yeah, So can't. basically, the jury foreman's like, no, I have no conflicts of interest on this case, even though her ex-husband was a deputy on the case. And the prosecutor is like, oh, okay, cool. Even though he knew that there was a conflict of interest because he did their divorce. Like, this is some, some crazy small town shit going on. Yeah. So that literally may have been me reading through the notes to prepare for this and thinking it was two separate cases because (laughs) Courtney's struggling. So in 2002, a U.S. district judge ruled that Williams deserved a new trial because of the conflicts of interest with the jury foreman. But we can't find any information about what happened after this. Like, did he get a new trial? Was he put to death? Um, If you know, like, please let us know. Um, Because, again, there's not that much information and we can't really find anything. Yeah, cannot find a single thing about this guy after this 2002 ruling. So that's disappointing. Um, But let us know if if you know more, because we would like to know. So for this next case, our sources were an article from Deseret News, um, a Washington Post article, the Associated Press. There was also a blog that was written by a woman that lived in Farmville, Virginia. So just want to put that out there that a few very minimal 
lines in this story, but a few did come from that. Um, so we can't really back up that information with other stuff, but everything else that she wrote was supported by other news articles. So, you know, might might be true, might be not. It's just kind of information about some relationships in here, but just want to clear that up. So 50-year-old Susan Varner and her mother, 79-year-old Suzanne Arena, were antiques dealers who specialized in vintage clothing. So they owned a store called Susie's Antiques in Farmville, Virginia, and they actually supplied this clothing for historical movies such as Titanic. Um, Specifically, they provided the black beaded dress that Kate Winslet wore when she threatened to jump off the ship early in the movie and the jacket that Leonardo DiCaprio threw on the deck as he ran to save her. So Susie's Antiques provided these two items, which obviously was a huge deal to the small town of Farmville. Well, yeah, like, that's a huge deal to me, and I'm not in Farmville because Titanic is, like, my right? favorite movie. <laughs> like, how cool is that? Like, your antiques business provided those two mm-hmm. items. But that's, unfortunately, the happiest part of the story. It is downhill from here. This is not a true crime podcast for nothing, <laughs> so... On July 5th, 2000, Susan was found dead in her kitchen around 7 p.m. Her mother was found dead in her home in a nearby county soon after. Both appeared to have been beaten with a blunt object. So Susan's ex-husband, 53-year-old Reginald Varner, was stopped by police for speeding later that day, and police then saw blood and an axe in his car. So this bit of information um, is from the blog. Just want to put that up there. Um, So Susan and Reginald were married in 1978. Reginald was a farmer and described as a bit old-fashioned, and when his wife's antique business took off and she started making more money than him, he had a hard time accepting that. Like, he's like, no, I'm the man, I'm the provider, like, now you're making more money than me, like, this is not okay with this. Um, Apparently, he was also jealous of how close Susan and her mom were. Red flag. Um, So Susan, yeah, right, for real. (laughs) So, Susan and Reginald did divorce in 1998 after 20 years of marriage. Susan began dating another man and was planning on marrying him shortly before the murders occurred. So, Reginald was charged with first-degree murder and capital murder and was originally found incompetent to stand trial and was sent to a psychiatric facility. Three years later, he was ruled competent to stand trial and pled no contest to all charges. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He died in prison in April of 2005. He was alone in his cell in the prison's medical unit of Wallens Ridge State Prison and was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Um, He was 57 years old. I wasn't able to find a cause of death. Um, Considering he was in the prison's medical unit when he was found dead, I assume that there was you know, some underlying condition going Mm -hmm. on, but couldn't really find anything that, like, specified he was only 57 years old, which is very young. Um, It is prison. I mean, he could have gotten into a fight, too. Like, you never really know. That is true. Um, But he is dead after murdering his ex-wife and his ex-mother-in-law with an axe. So, a little unhinged there. Yeah, don't do that. No. So, for this next case, our sources were the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Style Weekly. On July 18, 1911, Henry Beatty took his wife Louise for a drive in the county outside of Richmond, Virginia. They returned home at 11 p.m. that night, and Henry was cradling the body of his wife, who had been shot in the head. 
So 26-year-old Henry Clay Beatty came from a wealthy family in the area. Um, they were known for being dry goods merchants, so they were um, pretty wealthy from that trade. And 20-year-old Louise Welford Owen Beatty was also from a prominent family in Richmond and was living with her uncle Tom Owen in Chesterfield County. So they were married in 1910, and Louise gave birth to their first child, a son named Henry Clay Beatty III, on May 31st, 1911. On July 18th, he picked Louise up from her uncle's house and said they should go for a ride in his Buick so they could talk. So I'm a little confused about why his wife isn't living with him. Um, it kind of sounds like, I guess, if he's like, we, so we can talk, like maybe they were like in a fight or like, you know, separated or something. Like maybe she's like, I need to go somewhere else because I can't be around you right now. Yeah, it could be. But yeah, it's just very interesting just want to point out that we also acknowledge that that is odd. When he returned to Tom Owen's house around 11 p.m. that night, he yelled, they've killed Louise. So Henry told Tom that they were driving west on Midlothian Turnpike in Chesterfield County when a tall, drunk man with a beard appeared with a shotgun. So Henry struggled with the strange man and the gun went off. Um, Louise had been shot and then the stranger escaped. So police began searching the area and brought in dogs to search as well, but they were unable to track this man down. Um, A local maid then found a shotgun near some railroad tracks behind a tree about 25 to 50 feet away from the scene, and it was determined that that was the shotgun that had killed Louise. So police then learned that the shotgun was purchased by one of Henry's cousins recently at a nearby pawn shop. So three days after Louise's death, when they are unable to find this mystery man, Henry was charged with murder. Now, he thought all that was interesting. Now things really get interesting. So 17-year-old Beulah Benford was interviewed about her relationship with Henry. So Henry had recently been having an affair with Beulah. However, the two were together previously when Beulah was 13 and had given birth to his son when she was 15 years old. So that was the first Henry Clay Beatty the third that he had with this other woman. Mm-hmm. So Beulah was born in July of 1895 and was described as a quote handsome but morally corrupt girl. She was believed to be a sex worker who worked in the red light district in Richmond. So sex work, gambling, and alcohol were officially sanctioned on this strip by the mayor, chief of police, and the board of public commissioners. So there's this red light district in Richmond that everyone's like, okay, this is fine. All of this can happen here. Yeah, nowhere else, but this area is cool, mm-hmm. whatever. So she did work there. So Henry was 23 when he began sleeping with, uh, you know, raping 13-year-old Beulah because that is a 10-year difference and 13 years is a child. Yeah. Um, and after their son was born, Beulah left him with a relative in Roanoke. So Henry had originally said that he would provide for the child financially, but he changed his mind after the child went to live with Beulah's relative. Like, I guess he's like, oh, at that point, it's your child. I'm not going to do anything here. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the first Henry Clay Beatty III did die at 11 months old from infant cholera. So Henry then convinced Beulah to move to Raleigh, North Carolina, because he wanted to marry Louise and he didn't want Beulah to interfere with his plans. Then Henry and Beulah ran into each other at a baseball game in Norfolk on March 25th, 1911, and Henry asked Beulah to move back to Richmond so they could be together, even though he was already married at this point and his wife was seven months pregnant. So Henry's just a big old piece of shit here. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and Henry's father learned of this affair after a few months and threatened to cut Henry off financially. So it's like, okay, something's gotta, something's gotta change here. So the day before Louise was murdered, Henry and Beulah had gone to a resort and Beulah had a letter from Henry that included a $10 payment for furniture. So this wasn't really elaborated on, but I can only assume they're hinting at like, they're planning on building a life together the day before mm-hmm. Louise's murder. So Henry's cousin Paul confessed to purchasing the shotgun for Henry from a pawnbroker for $2.50 a few days before the murder. Henry was initially held in the small Chesterfield County Jail, but was then transferred to the nicer Henrico County Jail to await trial. He continued to claim that the bearded gunman was responsible for his wife's death. So Henry's trial started in August in the Chesterfield Courthouse, which is the county's government complex today. And at this time, this was a very rural agricultural area, and this trial was huge news, obviously. Um, So there were so many members of the media present that they actually had to put a telegraph office in the general store next door so that the reporters could file their stories. So there wasn't enough, like, manpower, you know, like, telegraph systems to be able to have this trial here, so they had to put it in. Mm -hmm. Um, The county also had to hire an extra deputy and have state militia outside in tents to guard the courthouse because of the size of the crowds. Um, The public thought Henry was guilty before the trial even started, and after less than an hour of deliberation, the jury agreed and found Henry guilty of murdering his wife. So the defense argued for a new trial, but the Supreme Court of Appeals quickly denied it. So on November 23rd, Henry Beattie signed a statement confessing to the murder, although he did dispute some of the facts, um, but he basically was like, yes, I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, He was executed by electric chair the next day. So this was a very quick from trial to execution in this time. Um, It's not, you know, 40 years like it is today. And Henry Beattie was one of the only wealthy white men ever to be put to death by electric chair in Virginia. But I mean, like, Really, he's probably one of the only wealthy white men in the United States in general to be put to death because that's how our system works. But Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Beulah Benford, who got caught up in all of this, um, her reputation was ruined at the age of 17, and she became known as the homewrecker who caused Henry Beattie to murder his wife. She was forced to leave town and signed with a theater agent at Philadelphia's Liberty Theater, but the National Board of Censorship ruled that Beulah could not appear on stage due to her scandalous reputation. Um, She tried to move to New York City to act and sing, but was forced out there as well. So, like, everyone knew who she was, and they're like, you can't perform here. Mm -hmm. Um, She eventually changed her name and worked as a telephone operator and office girl on Broadway for a while. And she was later found living in Illinois and revealed that she had also spent time living in California. Like, she got really frustrated with these reporters, and she's like, please just leave me alone. Like, I've changed my name. Like, I've moved. Like, I want nothing. I don't want to be remembered by this. Just let me live my life. Um, she was married a few times and also served as a World War I nurse before dying on March 25th, 1973. So, I mean, like, I feel bad for this child. I do. Mm-hmm. Like, she's literally a child and she got, like, wrapped up in an affair with this much older man who clearly took advantage of her and, like, told her to move away and then told her to move back and, like, her son died and then this man murdered his wife and now, like, she's the one that's seen as the homewrecker and responsible for it and, like, the rest of her life is ruined, like... And she, like, can't get away from it and can't do, like, what she wants. And she's, like... Literally, she was 13 when they're... 
yeah i don't want to say relationship started mm-hmm. um but you know like she was a child and like especially yeah. then she had a kid and so then you're kind of like trapped and like i mean you're so young like she was 17 like he's like telling you to move telling you to come back and he probably has so much money and just like influencing yeah. you so and her life was definitely ruined and i just hate hearing this when it's like this man was a piece of shit and then he killed his wife and now they're like but it's this woman's fault and it's like no yeah. it's his fault he killed her it's the man's let's fault. not exactly. let's not defend shitty men let's not do it yeah so yeah so those are three cases of murder in small towns in virginia um like I said, the first two were suggestions from our listener and newest patron, Lisa. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot to be able to do like an entire episode. So we just turned it into one of these themed episodes. And then the Henry Beatty one has been on my list for a while because it did happen so close to where I live and work and, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm glad I was finally able to dig into that one. Super interesting, crazy stories. Um so yeah, you know, these these heinous murders can happen everywhere and it's, especially it seems like the most like out there ones seem to be in small towns, you know, like the yeah. the general murder rate seems to be higher in cities, but then when you have these like axe murders and like these, you know, just really bizarre ones like the other Farmville Virginia case that we covered, you know, a few weeks ago, those those very uh wild ones tend to be in smaller towns for some reason. Yeah, definitely. So, all that being said, Courtney, what is your perk of the week? So, I'm going to do a little something different for perk of the week um, mm. because we are recording back to back and it's actually been like <laughs> a very long week with a lot of just things happening um, that would yeah. not classify as perk of the week. Um, so, <laughs> I'm going to like kind of like manifest my perk of the week and be like, this is happening next week but by the time you hear this it would have already happened so i'm gonna say it's like Mm -hmm. my perk of the week beforehand and if it goes terribly wrong (laughs) then i'll never do it again so basically (laughs) at this point in the next weekend kevin will be out of town for his bachelor party um and so i had a few plans of getting like a massage and all that so i'm gonna say that's my perk of the week because i'm like there's no way this (laughs) massage can be that bad um probably will be now but i'm gonna say that was my perk of the week because i've not had a massage in years and i was given this money for a birthday like four birthdays ago and i've held on to it because in the pan i accidentally delayed and was like i'll do it then i'll do it then and then the pandemic hit so anyway Mm -hmm. i'm getting a massage and it's going to be wonderful and that is my perk of the week is the massage that by the time you hear this has already happened, but hasn't happened yet. And we're manifesting that it's going to be wonderful and everything I need. So I think sometimes too, like looking forward to something like that is almost as good as the actual experience itself. Like knowing like this weekend I get to get a massage mm-hmm. like, this weekend. I get to like fully relax, like looking forward, like leading up to the event can be, you know, yeah. just like a vacation, like looking forward to the vacation planning, like all that is as much fun as the vacation itself. You I know? don't know about that one, but <laughs> I wouldn't say as much fun. But it's like <laughs> it's exciting. The looking yeah. forward to it. See, my makes work. I'm always easier, like, like having to work so crazy before vacation that it's like, <laughs> God, is it even worth it? True. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is my perk of the week. Shaquem, what is your perk of the week? 
So my perk of the week is the Goodreads app. Um, so I've always used it for like reading reviews. Like after I finish a book, I always like to read reviews and see like what other people thought of it. And like, you know, it's kind of like a, a book club mm-hmm. in my own head with these strangers on an app, you know, just seeing other people's thoughts and stuff. Um, and I know Courtney has always used it to like keep track of the books that she reads. Mm-hmm. And I've always just like put them in a note, in the notes <laughs> app on my phone to like remember what okay, I've read. Okay, 80 year old woman. <laughs> because as you guys know if you know me in person I'm not the best with like changing like when I find something that works like that's what I'm gonna do Mm -hmm. until I die so you know but as I've said before I like a new year it's a like fresh start and I'm like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna try using this like feature of like so I'm using that and I like it and I've added Courtney as a friend I don't know if she saw that I don't I did I get notifications like now it's like Jacqueline read this book (laughs) Jacqueline did this I'm like this is weird (laughs) I don't need to know everything Jacqueline does good reads it's okay You're like, I, I kind of already do. I don't need any more information. I'm kind of at the max information I can have about her life. Um, so, yeah, now I can also see what Courtney's reading, um, which, you know, is good if I ever want to, like, buy her a new book. And I'm like, did she read that already? You know. Um, and you can also, like, have books that you, like, want to read, mm-hmm. which, again, has also been an app on my f- – and the notes app on my phone where I just write them down. That's so where now I, I put, actually, like, all like, recommendations, like, things that I, like, want yeah. to read. Um yeah, because anytime anyone's like, yes. this book's good, I, like, go to that and click want to read and to yep. remember it. Yeah, so I'm super excited about um, using this app and joining the 21st century, and, <laughs> you know, here we are. Not even gonna... Anyway, so... Were you about to ask if it was still the 21st century? I sure century? was, and then I was like, that's not... It most definitely <laughs> is. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, I do love Goodreads a lot. I use that Yeah. One a lot to keep track of everything and they have like they'll have like different like recommendations and like if you have authors that you've read Mm -hmm. a lot of or like whatever they'll be like hey they have a new book coming out or like this and like it's very I really enjoy the app I know there's some other apps out there but Goodreads is my personal preference yeah I am really enjoying it so far so um yeah if you guys want to join us on Goodreads uh, yeah, no we don't have we don't have a caffeinated crap maybe we should maybe we should get no we got too much going on we could you know, just add books, you know, that we've read for cases or that we've read in general and recommend. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Let us know if you guys want that. Um, but you can also find us on all the other places online. We are on Instagram at Caffeinated Crimes Pod, on Twitter at Caff Crimes Pod. That's C-A-F-F Crimes Pod. We are on Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast. You can email us at Caffeinated Crimes Pod at gmail.com. We are on YouTube at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast, on TikTok at Caffeinated Crimes. That's it. Um, (laughs) You can, if you feel so inclined and are able, we are on patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes where we have bonus episodes and other fun goodies, um, different tiers starting as low as $3 a month. So whatever you're able to do, we got some extra fun stuff for you over there. Um, Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, and um, please don't forget about our Apple Reviews giveaway. Jacqueline did give, like, a tutorial last episode. If you need that, you can go listen to that. Um, Once we get to 50, we'll pick one person. They'll get a pin, a sticker, a $10 gift card to the coffee shop of their choice. Any coffee shop that you can dream of or want. Um, So, yeah, please go do that so we can hopefully round out 2022 at some point with this (laughs) Apple Reviews giveaway. Yes. Um, But in the meantime, go have a cup of coffee. And don't commit a crime. Mm -hmm.